LSU SpursCast, episode 599. My name is Paul Garcia, and I'm your host here on the SpursCast. Today, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will discuss the Spurs in the last two games, the team facing COVID-19 difficulties, DeMar DeRozan's all-star chances, and we'll shine the spotlight on Derek, White return, or Derek White's return. Before we begin, though, uh, we do want to you know, express our thoughts and prayers to all Texans suffering right now through this winter storm. We, we also hope that you, that you all are, t- are taking care out there. We know it's been tough for, for a lot of people here, here in, in San Antonio, but then also in Texas as a whole state you know, with this winter storm that has come by. And then also um, some, some unfortunate news um, on, um, on Friday, uh, DeMar DeRozan, uh, he announced that, that his father had passed away. So we do send our thoughts and prayers out to him and his family. And, you know, it's, it's, it's even more tough for DeRozan for the fact that the Spurs are actually in quarantine in Charlotte right now. So, you know, he's having to suffer. Through, through a loss of a family member while being away from from, from his own family uh, and stuck, you know, in a hotel room, most likely uh, in Charlotte. So, so you know, it is uh, welcome, Colin. It is you know some 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 unfortunate times right now for, for a lot of people. Uh, so, how how have you been holding up during this uh, winter storm that we're facing here in in, San, in Texas? Uh, I'm doing pretty pretty well myself. You know, honestly, we had it pretty good here. We had some power outages, but but nothing too crazy. Um, you know, so honestly, not as bad as what a lot of people have had. I think the mental toll of this week, which I think a lot of people have been dealing with, is has been pretty hard. So I'm I'm happy it's Friday. I was really happy to to see the sun was out all of today. That was a a great feeling. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's the same here. You know, where, where I live specifically, you know, I'm, I'm in San Antonio as well, but my part of the city didn't get didn't get affected as much. Uh, you know, we just had a minor power outage, and we've been lucky to have you know water. I mean, uh, you know, obviously we're we're in the boil, boil notice right now, uh, but aside from that, you know, we've been very fortunate. Unfortunately, you know, I, ha- I have had some family and friends, you know, dealing with some some tough times right now. So so it is a little bit tough for for a lot of people. We hope that we hope that everyone out there listening um, is is um, getting stronger and, get, and getting through this uh, through this unfortunate time. All right, so let's go ahead and dr- uh, dive right into this episode. So there hasn't been too much news in terms of the uh, the Spurs. Because you know we know about what their situation is with their season uh, suspended for a bit here in the schedule, so let's go ahead and, and dig right into uh, where the team left off before this pause in the season for them uh, due to the COVID nineteen uh, difficulties that they're facing. So uh, since I last recorded, they went two and zero in their last two games. So we, we go back to last Friday. They got a, a really impressive win against the Atlanta Hawks to start off their rodeo road trip. Uh, they led by as many as forty two points. You know, just dominated the Hawks. And uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, the bench unit did you know kind of not the not the not the main bench unit, but like the third tier bench unit they kind of lost that lead they, they kind of got outscored by the hawks there and so the spurs ended up winning by 11 points but it was still you know a comfortable win for san antonio then on Sunday, the Spurs traveled to the, traveled to Charlotte for their second game, and this is one of those games where they actually made a comeback. They, they faced a 16 point deficit, and it was the second time this season where they were able to, they were able to come back, and they got a 12 point win against the Hornets on Sunday. So overall, you know, big picture, they're 16 11 where the, where they're where they sit in the standings as of the pause of the season for them, uh, which is sixth out west. Uh, that you and I recorded this on a Friday evening, and then they are 21st on offense and eighth on defense. So I guess uh, let's just first talk about the uh, where they left off uh, what, what do you think about this team right now Colin where they stand yeah you know um it really seems like they have some some things coming together I think especially with Derek White's return uh and now that he's kind of finding a rhythm again um you know eighth on defense is pretty surprising especially after what we've seen from them the past couple of years but it does feel like that 21st on offense can go up if some other players just start making shots uh you know both of those first two games of the rodeo road trip um I think that people if they just look at, especially Spurs fans, if they just look at the schedule, they might be like, oh, these are games we'd expect the Spurs to win. Uh, but both of these teams are actually 
very uh, potent this year in both of them, the the Hawks and the Hornets. And both of those were very losable games, honestly, in terms of just the opponents that they're playing. And on any given night, you have a player like Trey Young who can obviously go off or or the way that the Hornets have been playing lately. So both of those, like you said, are honestly very impressive wins and good start to the rodeo road trip. Um, and I think, you know, if they can continue to keep their defense around that same level, they actually have some upside on offense. And so they're, they're a team that is coming together. I'm not sure if, if this type of record will project out exactly throughout the rest of the season, but I think that they, they will always be in contention for, you know, one of those bottom playoff spots or a play in spot for the rest of the year. And I think they've kind of solidified themselves as that kind of team. Yeah, I agree with you, you know, 100% there. And I think the biggest reason for that is the fact that if they can have a stable, you know, consistent top 10 uh, defense, that's going to always help you win ball games and keep you within a playoff picture. So I really feel that whether their offense does get better, which I agree with you, I think that it will start to get a little bit better uh, as the games progress later on in the year. Uh, that, that could help them even more. But if not, I think just having a top 10 defense again, as long as they stick to those principles that, that are keeping them in the top 10 right now, I think that, that they're going to continue to just keep some separation from those teams, you know, at the bottom of the West where they can either be in that, you know, uh, that, that like three through, through six range or, um, you know, in that seven through 10 range, which is enough to qualify you for that play in tournament. Like, like you mentioned there, Colin. All right. So now Spurs cast listeners, as you all know, you know, the Spurs have been facing some COVID difficulties. And so we're going to kind of take you through a timeline of why there's no basketball right now for, in terms of, for the Spurs. Uh, so we go back to Sunday. Um, you know, one player, Quindary Weatherspoon, uh, after after the game against the uh, the, the Hawks on Friday, uh, the Spurs announced that Quindary Weatherspoon would be out against the Hornets on Sunday due to health and safety protocols. So then on Monday, um, you know, after that Sunday game, the, the NBA announces that the Spurs versus Pistons game was going to be postponed due to health and safety protocols. And, and they said because due to a positive result within the Spurs. So they didn't say if it was a player or, you know, staff member. They just said someone within the Spurs, you know, uh, there's a positive test result. Well, then on Tuesday, we get word that the next three Spurs games would be um, postponed as well. So that's against the Cavaliers, against the Knicks, and then against the Pacers. And now this time, the NBA did clarify and actually say due to four Spurs players testing positive and additional contact tracing. And not only the Spurs. Spurs also they're they're also doing some contact tracing on the Charlotte Hornets players who the Spurs last played on uh, their last game. So what does that mean? Uh, the Spurs have basically been quarantined in Charlotte since uh, last Friday. So so you know you and I recorded this on, on a Friday, Colin. So it's basically been a week now. And um you know I don't know if the I forgot the NBA rules whether it's seven or ten days, but you know they'll basically get to that to that mark here pretty soon in a few more days. Um, so right now, as of where things stand on Wednesday this coming week is when the Spurs should be able to return to the court, and that's going to be in Oklahoma against the Thunder, Oklahoma City. Uh, again, that's on Wednesday. That, that's when they're expected to resume. We haven't got word yet from the NBA just 100% if that's going to for sure happen. But you know, as far as quarantining, both uh, the players should have already had their their time though. Uh, be, uh, you know, being in a quarantine setting, so so it looks like all all, all roads indicate to them uh, picking up and playing basketball again on Wednesday. Uh, and so I guess some of the you know these are these are not really there's not no no definitive answer here but these are some questions you have to ponder now Colin with, with the team facing this COVID difficulties especially considering that they were playing really well like we just mentioned you know 2-0 to start off the rodeo road trip 6th out west and the questions are you know how, how rusty are they going to be after being away from basketball for over a week and then the second question is you know they, they haven't even though I mentioned Quindary's Weatherspoon as a player who was out for COVID protocols they didn't actually say that he's positive the NBA has not identified and, the, and they won't identify exactly who was positive so all we know is that there are four players we don't know if those players are the players you know at the end of the bench are they the players who are always getting minutes you know as far as the, the core nine so that's another question is you know h- how much will this affect those players as, as they get back onto the court so so what do you think about these two questions Colin yeah so I think that the rust question definitely maybe follows the who 
were the um, players that tested positive question because I think, uh, you know, with everything that we've seen with players that have tested positive for COVID, it seems like um, if a player tests positive for COVID and is asymptomatic, they can retain return to a fairly high level um, in a decently quick amount of time. I think that, you know, just being quarantined for a while definitely kind of hurts someone's physical conditioning, and that takes a little while to come back from. But but they can kind of get back into game shape fairly quickly. Um, what we have seen on the other side of that is that players that have been symptomatic, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know the level of symptomatic, you know, there's probably a big range here, but players who have had physical symptoms, even if they aren't the severe case and they're kind of in the mild case, they take quite a bit longer to come back. And I think we saw that from a lot of players, especially in the bubble when you know we are expecting strong playoff performance from certain players and they they really didn't perform and those just also happen to be players who are symptomatic uh even quite a while before the bubble and we see that i know uh, seth curry talked about how it's been a struggle for him to return so i really think that their performance after this really depends on who had covid and if they were symptomatic or not and kind of how bad was their situation but i think the rust question i think that it's it's natural that if they are off for a week and a half that they will be a little bit rusty. But I think that that kind of thing generally shakes off about after a quarter or after a half of basketball. I, d- I don't think that that's something that will linger for several games. And obviously, you know, if you're playing below your normal level for a quarter or a half, that can lose you a game. But I think that that's one of those things that generally will correct itself pretty quickly. But if, you know, if these are... Um, four of the the high end players of the core nine, then then I think that could really affect their season in terms of if if some of these players who have been giving them really high consistent play start faltering understandably because of this. Now all of a sudden they're kind of in danger of of falling off of what's making them play so well so far this season. Yeah, no, I agree with you one hundred percent on everything you said there about the players you know returning and how how it may impact and especially if they were symptomatic during this time frame. And then also, I think that it would take about you know two or three games before all the players get, get you know get get back in routine and get their motions you know you know their legs under them. Those players that weren't affected by COVID, should we say? Uh, and, and so the thing to keep an eye on is that right now you know when they do return against the Thunder on Wednesday, there's only going to be five games left in the first half of the season, and then I believe uh, as of March fourth they go to All Star break after that date. So so again, there, there's limited games left, five games left when they do come back. And, um, you know, we have seen that the, that the NBA is, is kind of like quickly, if, if two teams, you know, earlier in the year had, had their games postponed and then their opponent currently has a game postponed, like we saw with the, I think it was the Pistons, where they basically scheduled a game out of nowhere, but there was a, it was almost like a makeup game. So there's that, there's that situation as well. Maybe, maybe um, you know, if, if, if some team that, that the Spurs had to cancel on uh, during this, got, had to postpone on, uh, maybe the NBA throws an extra game at them before the, even the second half of the season starts. So that's, again, something to watch. And obviously we know that, you know, right now the NBA is still developing that second half of the season schedule and so that would obviously um, include these now total five games again this has been five total games when we go back to that January game where the Spurs had a, a game postponed as well earlier in the year against I believe it was the, the Pelicans so again you know this is this is some, some things to watch as the Spurs you know eventually do come back uh, we're assuming again on, on Wednesday uh, uh, you know uh, assuming that everyone's now negative and, and they got um, through their, their testing and everything like that all right so let's move on to our second topic here and um this is DeMar DeRozan's um, really strong chance, in my opinion, of making the uh, the All Star Reserve team out west. Uh, so we know that the that the All Star starters were announced on Wednesday. I mean, on Thursday. I'm sorry, yeah, Thursday. And uh, the front court players for the West were uh, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard. And then for the guard rotation, it's uh, Luka Doncic and Steph Curry. So again, those are your five players who are, the, who are going to be the starters. So that leaves the uh, reserve candidates. So the uh, the reserves will be announced on Tuesday, February 23rd. And the way this works is the NBA head coaches all 30. 
30 of them will actually pick the reserve players and they must choose three front court and two guard two guard players from there they're going to have about two wild card spots uh to, to choose any position it doesn't have to be a guard i mean it doesn't have to be specifically guard um or front court it could be a, a, either either spot for those last two positions so one guard who i really feel like is a lock you know from from both listening to um to two different nba analysts but then also looking at how the how the voting came in from the media the players and the fans for the all-star starters i really feel damian lillard's like that one lock on the western conference guard rotation you know he's got the blazers fourth out west 29.8 points uh 4.4 rebounds 7.7 assists uh when the Bla- when he's on the floor the blazers are a plus 14.6 points per 100 according to cleaning the glass uh so what does that mean let's just say dame's a lock well then that leaves three open guard spots i'm assuming that's only if um the West coaches give those last two wild card spots to guards. So again, we're, I'm assuming three open guard spots, and then maybe one extra spot if um, you know we know that Anthony Davis is injured for multiple weeks. So if Adam Silver chooses a guard as his replacement, well then that that could be that could be a, an extra guard spot. So basically, like a fourth guard spot. But again, we don't know if Silver might choose a, a front court player instead to replace Davis, uh, who's injured. Um, so that leaves the, the candidates out for those guard spots, and and that leaves um you know about a, I have here I think it's I think eight players. So let's talk first about the candidates in the playoff picture so we're going to obviously talk about DeMar DeRozan because he's on the Spurs so he has the Spurs DeMar at six in the Western Conference he's averaging 19.8 points five rebounds 6.9 assists one thing that does hurt his case and I heard Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz talk about this on a podcast is that you know because he spent a lot of his early season time with LaMarcus Aldridge on the floor he he, he his net rating is not very good it's a, it's a minus 10.1 according to cleaning the glass and that's the biggest out of all these players considered for all-stars but you know when, when Aldridge isn't there and now that DeRozan you know, starting alongside Derek White and Dejounte, his his numbers have looked better. His on off numbers. Uh, he's in he's in a competition basically amongst Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Mike Conley, and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, then the candidates not in the playoff picture are um you know those players like the younger players like John Morant, De'Aaron Fox, and Shea Gilgis Alexander. So I guess my question to you, Colin is is um who do you think? Let's just say that the coaches are going to give three of those open spots to, to to guards. Who do you think those players are in your opinion out of out of these eight that I have listed here? Okay, so I think that one um, of the Jazz guards definitely makes it. So I think okay. that the Jazz probably get Gobert plus one of the guards. Okay. Um, and I feel like just from perception, Mitchell is the the one that people would pick. But my thing, and um, having uh, I know the Hollinger and Duncan show, they were talking about this. I I, I am a huge Mike Conley fan. And I would I would love it if he could make an All Star game, and this is probably his last great shot at that. So I, I feel like it'll probably be Donovan Mitchell for one of the slots, but I would love it if Mike Conley was one of them. Um, and the Suns probably only get one as well. Mm-hmm. So in terms of which one of those two get it, oh, that's a good question. I think that there is this perception that Devin Booker's kind of had a down year, and um, that Chris Paul has really come in and like made them a winning team all of a sudden. So I think that even though the stats might be better for Booker, um, I think that. Chris Paul gets another one. So you have Paul and Mitchell. And then the last one is a little bit tough. Um, Another thing uh, to consider is that it is coaches. So I think that the net rating actually won't be a huge deal. I don't Mm -hmm. think the coaches are going to go like, oh, he has a negative 10 net rating. Um, And looking at, you know, if if we do assume that the Jazz and the Suns only get one guard each, um, looking at the remaining four guards, if three guards are picked out of this, of DeRozan, Morant, Fox, and Gilgis Alexander, I really do think that the coaches are likely to pick DeRozan. He's on a winning team and he's just kind of an established player. And he's kind of, um, you know, the fact that his game is a little bit old school, I don't think is a problem for a lot of, 
these coaches <laughs> that might be voting, especially because I think they're spending more time on their own teams than they are on, you know, saying, oh, is John Morant a worthy all-star, you know? So they are like, they just look at the stats and they say, oh, I know who DeMar DeRozan is. I know what his game is. You know, I'm going to put him in the all-star game. So I, I'm going to say out of this list, if three guards were to make it, it would be Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and DeMar DeRozan. Okay, okay. So I, I, I'm actually just right with you. I just have a, a little change on, in terms of the players. So I actually felt that Mitchell was like a lock just because, you know, the Jazz are number one. And then I thought Gobert as well. But then after listening to, like I mentioned, like that, that Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz episode, they kind of made me think about, about Mike Conley. And then I saw, you know, his advanced metrics are really good. But again, like you said, you know, coaches really aren't going to look at a lot of those advanced metric kind of stuff, on-off numbers, things like that. So so my three picks are um, that I think that they'll choose again. This is You have to keep in mind, these are the coaches choosing, not not like the media or not the fans or anybody like that. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think it's Don, I think it's uh, Donovan Mitchell is 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 the one player for Utah. I think for the Suns, I think that um, you know I could see either Booker or Paul Guinea, but I think they'll choose Booker uh, just because again he's he's the primary guy that 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 Phoenix runs through um, you know each night. Uh, and then the third player because you know I think that coaches like to reward winning. I think that they're going to choose Demar Derozan. I don't, I don't think that for one their age, uh, John Morant, Darren Fox, and, and SGA. You know they're always going to have multiple opportunities as long as they stay healthy in their careers to get into the the All Star game. So I really feel like they're going to kind of that's kind of going to be against them in a way that the fact that they're not a playoff team, but then also that they're going to have multiple chances uh, in the future to make All Star teams. So I really I think that out of the rest of those players, I, I really feel like uh, DeRozan's going to be that player. So so I, I you know you and I both agree that we think that DeRozan has a really good shot here of being a conference a Western Conference reserve and again it's because you know the fact that like Conley and Mitchell are almost going against each other in a way and then also Booker and Paul and it's not like the Spurs are that far off from those teams you know obviously Utah is really good but they also have Gobert you have to consider so maybe even three three all-stars and then um you know the Suns are just one you know just in terms of the, the ranking in terms of the standing should I say they're just um you know fifth and the Spurs are sixth so you know DeRozan by basically when you look at this looks like DeRozan by himself versus Phoenix who has two players that, that they rely on uh each night in terms of being their focal go-to player so so and then you know the stats aren't too too far off i see that like booker here is like the the, the leading squad of this group with 24 points whereas everyone else you know is, is kind of right there just a few you know within five points uh, of booker of these stats so 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 yeah so i think that you and i both agree that we think that derozan has a, derozan has a really good chance of going back to the all-star game uh next week so again keep an eye spurs cast listeners on february 23rd that is a tuesday uh and that's when the that's when the western conference reserves uh will be announced and again also there's also that wild card uh uh, that Adam Silver might put another guard in there. And we also have to consider that what if the coaches don't put those uh, guards as those extra two spots? Well, then that gets even tougher for DeRozan uh, if that's the case because then they could end up putting front court players. But I think that it's going to come down to guards because that's where a lot of the, the, the issues happening with in terms of getting enough guards into this uh, All-Star game that, are, that have had a really good season. All right, let's move into our last topic, Colin. Uh, this is uh, just kind of shining the spotlight um, this week on, on Derek White. You know, I, I do want to kind of to note that it's only been eight total games that he's been back. So, you know, we have to keep keep in mind a very a small sample size. You know, even though it seems like he's been back a little bit longer than that, it's only been eight games. Um, so let's first discuss his base stats. Um, you know, 11.8 points in his return, 34% from three on five and a half attempts per game, which is second on the team behind, uh, I believe, only Patty Mills in terms of attempts per game. Uh, 1.9 free throw attempts, 1.8 rebounds, 3.9 assists, which is third on the team. One steal a game, which is third on the team. One block a game, which is third on the team. In 23.6 minutes uh, through eight games, like I mentioned. And and the reason why I really want to talk about Derek White is because he just had one of his, his season-high scoring games just m- most recently against Charlotte uh, with 25 points. Uh, when he's on the floor, the Spurs are a plus 11.2 points per 100, um, 88th percentile. Again, when he's on the floor, according to Cleaning the Glass. So let's first talk about his defense. Um, 
you know, the team is, is looking really good with Derek on the floor. Um, they're holding opponents to 1.3 point, points per 100 less when he's on the floor, which is the, in the 60th percentile, according to Cleaning the Glass. Uh, he's in the 90th, 99th percentile amongst wings and block percentage, uh, 85th percentile steal percentage amongst wings. Uh, he has 4.4 deflections per 36 minutes, which would lead the team if, if he played 36 minutes a night. Uh, he's, he's got 10.9 contested shots per 36 minutes, which is only behind, um, in terms of rotation players on the Spurs, Jakob Perto and Lamarcus. Aldridge and then you're starting to see that chemistry between him and and, and uh, DeJounte Murray now that they're starting together where um, if you look at the primary matchups in the, those two recent games against the Hawks uh, you saw that uh, D- Derek and DeJounte spent pretty much all their time guarding either Trey Young or Kevin Herter which is that that tells you that that they're communicating off ball in terms of switching or you know picking up the next man who's open um, and in terms of when a possession ends and then also against the Hornets they both defended LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier as their as their main matchup so again they, again it's shows you again that, that that they're starting to communicate a lot more in terms of switching or, or again just picking up that next uh, guard so so what do you want to say um colin about Derek's defense yeah i think that it just it gives the spurs so much flexibility in the backcourt you know it they really now have like two a plus defenders <laughs> um in terms of players who can guard like you're, you're talking about like a trey young uh LaMelo Ball and like both of these offenses had been uh, fairly potent recently. Um, so just being able to have players who have the length and the athleticism to guard these high skill guards just makes such a big difference today. And not only that, but when you have a player like Drozen who is so skilled on offense, but has maybe more difficulties on the defensive end. Um, when you have this kind of backcourt, now you're in a position where it gets easier to hide him on maybe the worst offensive uh, perimeter player. Um, and you can kind of do that one through four with the way that the NBA plays now. So just having Derek back kind of has Derek White back for the Spurs has a cascading effect on their defense when you have such a strong defender back in the starting lineup. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and another thing to watch is, um, you know, I, I wrote about this. Uh, uh, actually, I wasn't right about it, but then, uh, you know, it wasn't enough uh, sample size. So I think it was like four or five games. But if we start looking at some of the opponent three point numbers, their 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 percentage of shots that are wide open have 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 gone down in the last four or five games. And also, you know, just their accuracy has gone down as well. And again, yeah, I, I want to wait till there's more data to to prove that you know Derek is making a difference there. But I think I think you can kind of see it in terms of when you see that that they're that they're limiting the amount of open threes that they're giving up. I think that that's a that's a pretty good indicator. But again, we want to see what it looks like when you get like 10 to 15 games of having Derek and DeJounte starting to, to really prove that. So, so, you know, you do see those early uh, uh, benefits of having Derek, Derek back on, on defense as well as along with everything that you said there. Uh, now let's talk about him, him in the return on offense. Um, you know, the Spurs are really good on offense when he's back on the floor. Uh, they are outscoring teams by 9.8 points per 100, according to cleaning the glass, which is in the 94th percentile. Uh, his shot profile, 51% of his shots right now are coming from three. His second shot to go to is, is the restricted area, which is that area closest to the basket, 20 percent of his shots come from there he doesn't spend too much time taking those little floaters in the non-restricted area only 16 percent of his shots there and he doesn't really spend a lot of time in the mid-range on nine percent of his shots there uh one thing that he brings to the spurs that he did last year he did this as well is he gives the spurs a second player who likes to launch those pull-up threes uh he's very confident in that shot 25 percent of his threes are pull-up threes which is a second only behind patty mills uh and right now he's making 36 percent of those pull-up threes um 55 percent of his shots have been wide open so far to start this year um he's making 38 percent of those shots uh 
uh, like I mentioned, um, he, he, he is attacking the rim. Uh, that's the second go-to shot, getting closest to the basket. So he's finishing with 60% accuracy in the restricted area. Um, he's in the 95th percentile in assist percentage amongst wings and also the 91st percentile in turnover percentage. So again, he's taking care of the ball. He's moving it. He's really setting up his teammates is what we see here in that data. And then lastly, he's, um, you know, he's now fourth in drives per game on the Spurs with 7.5 uh, attempts per game in terms of drives. And uh, what happens when he drives the ball? There's a 43% chance he's going to uh, put up a shot. There's a 43% chance he's going to, uh, you know, pass to a teammate. Then, then there's also a 10% chance he gets the free throw line and just a 6.7% chance that he turns it over. So again, we see a player who here who's going to get to the free throw line a little bit more, attack a little bit more, who's not going to be a, a, you know, a turnover. He's going to have any turnover issues for this team. So what do you want to say about Derek's offense? Yeah, so I, and I feel like I've said it maybe even a million times on this podcast uh, in other episodes, but like the one word that really comes to mind for me for his offense that really has uh, maybe since I think it was his second year, um, two years ago, two seasons ago, uh, when he really started to develop uh, into the player that he is now is just steady. Like he's a very steady player. Mm -hmm. He makes the right decisions. He makes everyone around him steady too. Um, He just has this like, and like he's not like lackadaisical or anything, but he just has this this sense about him that when he's running the offense, everything kind of calms down, and and everyone else is making good decisions, and he's going to make the right play, and everyone else is going to make the right play now, and it's just this kind of like way that he holds himself in this way that he plays, and you see it with with his shot distribution, you see it with his assist to turnover percentages. Um, you know, the Spurs have so many <laughs> perimeter guys who can drive uh, to the hoop, and he's another one, but he's maybe even more successful in terms of shooting when he gets to the restricted area than, than some of the other guys. He just he just has a lot of these tools on offense that exactly is what you'd want in a guard in today's NBA, and he just knows how to kind of calm everything down and, and bring the offense to a place where it can really... Uh, succeed, especially with a lot of these younger players who can, I think, sometimes get really wrapped up in the excitement and just go, go, go. He, he kind of can bring that to the right place. Yeah, and this is a little bit off topic, but this is something that I addressed last week in the Spurs cast, and, and we've actually seen some progress. And this is the in terms of Kelton Johnson's aggressiveness, because uh, last week what I discussed with uh, Josh Paredes was that um, you know Kelton's attacking numbers in terms of getting in the paint, driving, um, getting to the free throw line, those kind of things. He had kind of we've seen a decrease in that because of, you know when Derek came back, because there's another ball handler, a dominant ball handler on the team uh, with Derek back, and so it really felt that Kelton kind of couldn't find his way of when exactly to, to be as aggressive as he had been. However, in these last two games against the Hornets and the Hawks, you have seen Kelton put up, I think, 20 points uh, in one game and, and, and over 10 points in each. The, the main thing is that he scored over 10 points in the paint in both of those games against the Hornets and the Hawks. And so you see that him starting next to Derek now, I think that also that's kind of been a learning curve for, for the both of them of, of learning what Kelton's learning now, how to how to still be still be as aggressive as well and picking his spots of when to attack now with another um, you know player who has the ball in his hands a lot in Derek. Um, have, have you seen anything there? Any progression? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I know that it had been kind of a new thing because, you know, Keldon really emerged as a starter this season. I mean, I know his bubble performance uh, was at that level last year. Um, but, you know, it. and then the Dante-Derek uh, White thing was something that everyone wanted all of last season. We finally got more of it in the bubble. So there's a lot of adjustments, I think, that have to be made. I think that a lot of the times people see a list of players and they think oh okay these players are good so they'll play good together <laughs> and i think that sometimes um it takes a little bit longer for um 
these types of lineups to gel, especially with how uh, how much Derek White was out to start the season. So I think that you are starting to see these lineups gel, and and you think of uh, the starters and and some of the players that the Spurs have in their rotation, and like I was saying, their ability to be aggressive and to drive, and they're putting a lot of pressure on the rim uh, against opponents. But then when you have a player who is uh, pulling up at the rate that um, White is, you also have a player who's putting pressure on the defense from the perimeter too. So now all of a sudden you're starting to put a lot more pressure on opponents. And and when Keldon you know, is now learning how to his spots to be aggressive, but as he's learning those spots, because there's another player on the court who's a threat from three and who's also a threat to drive when he has the ball, he'll find it, I think, easier to to make those uh, scoring opportunities when he's able to find those opportunities as much as it's just a matter of finding the right time to be aggressive. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and just, again, it, it is only eight games, and really it's seven games because, you know, that first game that Derek played was early in January, then he got hurt again. So it's, it's really the last seven games that he's been playing like this. And, and he also, Pop, Coach Pop also said that he wasn't going to be having, um he wasn't going to be playing on the second out of back-to-back. So that's also something to keep in mind was that he did rest a game. And again, it's, it's just, it's early season data, but a lot of these trends are things that like Colin mentioned. These are things we've seen from the past two years of, of Derek, you know, his shot profile, his steadiness, you know, in the offense in terms of being being a player who can run pick and roll, uh, get to the free throw line, you know, set up teammates so so these are things that that we see already in the data that's trending toward toward what kind of player Derek's going to be again this year and and again the, the numbers may be a little bit more um you know more, more productive form right now but they may they may you know fall fall down just a little bit in certain categories so that, again it just shows though that Derek's getting back into to, to how he plays and also it's going to benefit his team because they're obviously you know we've seen them have some pretty big leads here these last few games so before we close out this episode we do want to remind you all to visit projectspurs.com um you know when, when the games start up again Steven Anderson will continue to have um, analysis uh, after each game uh, Benjamin Bornstein is getting prepared for the draft by um, writing his prospect watches his latest one is over Franz uh, Wagner uh, by Ben uh, also we have the Forever Toros episode, uh, podcast uh, going you know during the, the G League bubble so um, Mike DeLeon uh, Michael DeLeon John Diaz and Jonas Clark um, are continuing to, to, to put out episodes each week and their latest episode is episode 8 uh, again, if, again, if you want to follow the Austin Spurs and how, and how they're doing, uh, and then also I've been writing, um, you know, whenever the games are happening, uh, a piece called the day after the, the day off, should I say? So, so the latest one is called the day off after the the win over the Hornets, and it's on uh, Kelton Johnson and Dejounte Murray's ability to attack the rim. Something Colin mentioned there earlier, um, the steals and deflection numbers that Derek's, um, you know, no, adding with Devin Vassell and um, Dejounte Murray, and then also, uh, you know, there's just more data and stuff like that in, in this piece uh, that I wrote um, about DeRozan's All Star chances. So thanks again to Colin uh, for joining me here on the Spurs Cast and also to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day.